be nice to have more of those. Yeah. Yesterday I went to Warren over by Youngstown to a, um, a meet a missionary <clears throat> who was in Thai. Uh, he was in Thailand and I was in Thailand to visit, but I didn't visit him, didn't know him then. I met him through Cairo's ministries. And uh, you may meet him someday. I'd like to have him come and share with you. His name is Art Cooper. He works with Wycliffe. And Art and I and a group of other uh, people met uh, last Friday night and Saturday night on a on a, a seminar on spiritual warfare, about dealing with demons and dealing with spiritual battles. It was quite a good, and I think fair and balanced biblical perspective. It was great. <clears throat> and this week, I think because of the God of grilled cheese, I think, and the Corinthians, it just it's interesting how the Lord does this. I, I think this is how He works in my life. He gives me one lesson, and then He repeats it, and He repeats it, and He makes me think about it again. So over a period of time, my mind marinates and learns these lessons, and I just okay, I understand a little bit more every day. And I'm I I, I don't know if you guys I didn't tell you this did I I don't think I did. Uh, this week I celebrated my fiftieth birthday. Did I tell you that? Yeah, I was fifty years old. May tenth was my fiftieth year of becoming a Christian. Uh, May tenth, nineteen seventy-two, is when I accepted Christ. And I, <clears throat> I've learned early on that the Lord is so full of surprises, and that His plan—if you trust Him—it just gets better. And so now I'm sixty-nine actually, and I can't wait to get to be 70. Uh, my body's in good shape so far, So, but if based on what God is teaching me, I just think that Christian life is the best thing uh, on this earth. And uh, so I wanted to share some things with you today that would <clears throat> help understand what we're talking about is about this. We're in the book of Corinthians, and we're following Paul around wherever he goes, but we're looking at what Paul was talking about, the sensitivity to sin and this desire for holiness that Paul understood something about the Lord that most of us don't understand. And I, I'm in that category, even though I'm, I feel like I'm starting every day afresh and have to go back and rethink and relearn and be reminded. We all need that. But the sensitivity to sin and the desires of the whole, of, for holiness really is a work of the resurrected Christ. And when you understand the mysteries of of uh, Christ being risen and sitting at the right hand of the Father and sending the Holy Spirit to be the comforter, the guide, the one who's the paraclete who comes alongside, you just end up in worship. And that's what we are here to do at Chesterland Baptist. We want to be Christ-centered Christians. We don't want to be church people. We want to be Christ-centered people who know him and know him well. And are growing in that. And that's why Kim's opening verse was that we should grow in the grace and that personal experience of knowing him and knowing how to listen and knowing why we should and just really getting caught up because there's nobody more wonderful than Christ. And so that, that song we sing, the Hillsong worship song, um, Jesus, God didn't want heaven without us. So, Jesus, <clears throat> you brought heaven down. My sin was great and your love was greater. What could separate us now? That idea in that song is that in what we just prayed in the Lord's Prayer, uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. 
Thy will be done where? On earth. Where on earth? Where on earth? In the heart. So it's in, sorry, it's in inside of each one of us and collectively wherever the Holy Spirit dwells within the believer, there's the kingdom of God and the community of God's people. We are a forgiven people. We are a forgiving people. But, but there are things that could separate us now. There are three things that could be used <clears throat> in, in spiritual warfare. You simply learn this all the time, that the three things that would separate you is the culture, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is our culture. The United States American culture has impacted the church so much, more than, than we realize. Our natural, unredeemed nature, that we're going back to self-centeredness, that affects us. But the devil, this is an interesting one because, as we'll hear later on, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. What does he want to do? Destroy your faith. Destroy your love. Destroy by doubt, by criticism, by, by unbelief. And so he's out to really undermine you. And so just we need to be aware of some of these things. But... <clears throat> As we went through this week and we went into Isaiah, we went to Haggai and Isaiah and these minor prophets, hear what God says in the word. It says, this is the vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem, Old Testament believers. From Isaiah, the son of Amos, he saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, and kings of Judah. Now that's a list of baby names for you guys thinking about that, so... Listen to this, what God says. Hear me, you heavens. He's going to the earth. He's going to the cosmos as a testimony because he's not calling upon people. He's calling to the universe to be a testimony. For the Lord has spoken. I reared children and I brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master. The donkey, its owner's manger. But Israel does not know. Israel, my people, do not understand. This is Isaiah. And he continues, hear me. <clears throat> and he goes on, woe to the sinful nation, the people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel, and they turned their backs on them. Why should you be beaten anymore? You're going to be defeated. You're going to be defeated and beaten down, distressed and downcast. You persist in rebellion. Why do you do that? Your whole head is injured and your whole heart is afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness, only words and welts and open sores, not cleansed and bandaged or soothed with olive oil. Pretty gruesome situation. This was the Old Testament people who were called into a covenant and threw the covenant away. This is the northern ten tribes of Israel that were destroyed, and there are only two tribes left, and they were destroyed because they didn't know. Haggai, coming back from the 
captivity, this is the same thing, the same pattern is repeating here in Haggai. And he says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Now he says it different this time. He says, these people, these people say, this isn't the right time. The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. They come back into a Ukrainian destroyed country into Jerusalem. And God says, I want you to build my temple for 15 years they start working on their own homes, get it nice, but the church was basically ignored. And they said, well, that's not the right time. They can rationalize and excuse it. And the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, and he says, is it a time for you to build living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord God says. Give careful thought to your ways. Think, what are you doing? Wake up. Pay attention. And he goes on. <clears throat> he goes on, he says, in, in Isaiah going back, he says, your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your fields are being stripped by who? By foreigners. Right before you. Laid waste as when overthrown by strangers. Hosea said it this way. Ephraim mixes with the nations. There's a hybrid, but it's not a good hybrid. Ephraim is a flat loaf not turned over. You ever eat a half-cooked pancake? Not done? Well, that's Israel. There are things that will keep you from knowing God and knowing Christ well in his sin. And we talked about this as Paul's going all the way through. We don't talk about sin much in our culture. It's, we, you know, we don't talk. We just don't talk about. We've lost the words for for confession. We've lost the words for repentance. We've lost the words for shame, and and we we don't think that way. We, we kind of neutralize it and throw throw these things out. Sin will keep you from the book, or the book will keep you from sin. And so, in the book of Corinthians, we've got the same problem as the Old Testament had, where Paul said to the Corinthians, I can't talk to you as to spiritually mature people. Why? Because the Corinthian culture was cramming its way in through the door. That was the verse I was looking at. In Genesis 3, God told, was, was Abel told uh, that sin is crouching at the door, but you must master that. And so the idea that sin is going to be aggressively going after because Satan hates you and your Lord loves you. And what Satan would love to do more than anything to tick God off is to kill you because that really makes God mad. He's jealous of you. Satan doesn't want you to get the, the grace that he didn't get. But he got judgment. So Paul said, I couldn't speak to you as to people who live by the Spirit. But as people are still worldly, they've mixed. And therefore, that call to worship again, grow, not this way, but grow this way so that you know more about the Spirit. And that's what the issue is as we're getting into in Corinthians and Ephesians and Galatians and all the other New Testament books. It says, we have not received the Spirit of the world. And therefore, Christian, you need to learn how to cut off those influences that really are destroying you and the church and the, our, our, our understanding of what the kingdom of God is all about. Notice it says, it says, we have received the Spirit so that we might understand 
And that means not just to be familiar with, it means to value and count as important with the equal weight that Christ would have. And therefore, as a Christian, you are invited into the same relationship that Jesus had with the Father with an amazing mystery that the way you live your life would be as if you had died and gone to heaven. And you were in heaven for 10,000 years and you came back on earth. And you have a heavenly lifestyle. That's what we want to do here in the church is to raise up laborers, raise up Christians, raise up disciples who have the same pattern of thinking, the same heart, the same grace, the same mercy, the same wisdom, the same everything about Jesus in you and how you relate to people. And yet we are, we've got a lot of work to do. Thomas Akempis wrote the second famous, most famous book on earth. What's the most famous book? The Bible. Outside the Bible, you know what number two is? Well, I gave you the answer, didn't I? It's the imitation of Christ. Sorry. How many have read that book? This is amazing to me. This is a classic, the classic. No other book tops like the imitation of Christ as this one does. But the idea that you are called to imitate as an image bearer to reflect Christ, there's something about you and me, men and women, that have this ability not to follow the natural path of the first Adam, but to follow the spiritual wonder of the second son of man, Adam, Christ. Because there's just something about Jesus. There's just something wonderful that you need to know. Remember, and can you imagine this? Can you imagine just this one sentence? And I'll just, there's so many things about this. That's not the focus. But can you imagine Jesus's life, his emotions, walking through his, his inner dialogue? But he was so free, no matter where he went, as a holy man, he was so free. He was totally free. And no one could point his finger says, you did me wrong. You did me wrong. Which of you convicts me of sin? Can you imagine living a life with such a perfect conscience that you're, you're totally secure? No one could fault you for anything. Can you imagine that life? You wake up and say, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't get late. I didn't lose my keys. I didn't miss work. I didn't steal anything. I didn't lie to anybody. I didn't hurt anybody. I didn't say anything. I didn't. Can you imagine day after day for 33 years, Christ, with people who are angry, stubborn, trying to kill him, trying to, and he was perfect in his response always. Can you imagine having that peace, that solidness of a holy life that says, I have no fear? None. No depression. None. No guilt. None. No shame. None. But instead, you have joy. Real joy. Real joy. And now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask that your joy. Jesus knew what joy, joy was. And he knew what the smile of the Father was. Jesus knew how to live life in such a way no one, is, no one is above him. No one is more worthy than him. And therefore, to be in step with Christ, to be an imitation of Christ, is, ama is amazing. Now, the interesting thing about human nature is we imitate those we love, right? And so 
because that's how you learn. In Japan, the babies were tied on the backs of their mothers. And so whatever the mother would see, the baby would see. When the mother would work, the baby would go, whoo, there's a rice field. You know, so everything they did was tied to the person they were mentored by. And same way for us. We are allowed through Christ. And I just want you to hear this wonder. I want you to get mesmerized and stunned by this because I am. And if I get like this and you should get like, oh, this is something else. This is different. I wanted to get this. Christians are allowed to live an eternal life right now. Did you get that? Christians are invited to participate under that reign of Christ, where Christ rules in your heart, and that, that heaven has come down, and that our hearts are united with Christ. That's a wonderful blessing to know that you are embraced, you are called sons, you're called daughters, you are called mine. He delights in you, and that's why we worship him. Christ does for us what no human can do. And as Dallas Willard put it this way, that we are trained to reign. We are discipled to develop this wonderful lifestyle. But these spiritual people are not those who engage in certain practices. It's not just going to church. It's not just giving money. It's a relational practice. It's, a, it's engaging with Christ, and they draw their life from a conversational relationship with God. Therefore, the way you think about God is not just a cognitive belief, belief system, philosophically argued by evidence that demands a verdict or, or evolution. It's, once you meet Jesus, that's it. You're settled. You know who you know, and that's all you need to know. That he loves you. And that's why the passage in Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If somebody's knocking at the door, what do you do? You open it. And you see who, is, who it is. And so if you see it's Jesus, what do you want to do? You invite him in. And guess what he does? He comes in. And what do you do when you come in? Well, when I go to Pat and Bob, they fix coffee cake and coffee. Or go Ruth gets grilled cheese, and we, when you're sitting down at table, you eat, and you drink the coffee, and you eat the grilled cheeseburger, whatever, or the grilled cheese, and, and uh, but you talk. That is the message that if you're walking with Christ, you sit at table. I mean, there's no problem if you're friends, and that's the invitation for us. And so the divine. Conspiracy, as Willard would put it, is not a plan to get people forgiven and into heaven, but to get heaven into people. And that relationship that you enjoy Christ as you live in the fullness, the fullness, the full, did I say fullness? The fullness of life. It's not about your forgiveness. It's not about your sin. It's not about your condemnation being wiped clean. It's about fullness of life. Because Jesus didn't sin. He's not there to give you his sin or take away your sin. He is that for sure. But it's more than that. It's not just problem-centered. It's life in Christ. And knowing that Christ will walk with you no matter what you go through, you will not be shaken. You'll be embraced. You'll be, there's just something about the life of Christ that the Corinthians didn't know. 
that if you mix with the world, you will forget. Now, the question I have for you is, why did Jesus do all of that? Just to get you to get grace and accept Jesus and get your ticket to heaven and hang around until you die and then you go home? No, no, no. There's other purposes. The things that you can need to know is that there's things here on earth that you can do to get closer to Christ. To grow in grace means that you invite Christ to do more talking with you, sitting at the table with you, that you're learning how to respond and grow in him so that you can participate in that fullness that he wants you to enjoy. Christ wants you alive. Satan wants you dead. And he's not going to stop, and neither is the Spirit. And that's why the Bible talks about the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit. But don't be mistaken. The Holy Spirit sets his desires against the flesh. And therefore, there's a tension, isn't there? You know that tension. What I do, I don't want to do. And what I don't do, I do. And, uh, but the point of Jesus is to undermine the structure of evil. He wants to undo what Satan undoes so he can restore those to that loving relationship of trusting Christ. And therefore, what you see Jesus saying is, I'm coming after that thief. I want to destroy the one who's destroying you. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Fine. You reap what you sow, I'm going to do the same thing to you, Satan. But I've come that my people might have life and have it to the full. Old Testament and New Testament. But Satan would say, "Ah, you don't need to do that. Just follow me and I'll give you all that you need. And so somehow when you get into 1 Corinthians... You get to this problem, and the problem is the Corinthians did not know how to walk with Jesus in the Holy Spirit. Now, that's something for us in the, in the West. There has been a difficulty in our 250, 300 years history that we're not really sure how to do that either. So when you get into Corinthians, you've got the flesh coming in and taking over, the nations coming in and taking over, Satan coming in and taking over, and we don't understand how God works. That's why it's called a spiritual battle. A couple of passages. This is a great passage. I love this passage. I use it a lot. Ecclesiastes 8.11. You know, you know this in your experience, but here it is in the Scripture. When the sentence for a crime is not carried out quickly... People's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. Their, their hearts are given to do evil. Why? Because they can get away with it. Oh, Sandy was disciplining John one time. We were at, at, in Japan, and, and Sandy says, John, I want you to get in there and clean your room. And John was on the computer game and playing something. And, and he said, yeah, Mom, yeah, Mom. And so she came back in five minutes later. John, go ahead and clean your room up. And... Uh, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay, Mom, okay. Three or four times she came back in, and you, you, you as a mother know what's going on. And so this irritation is coming in, and he is blowing her off. She went in ten times, and at the tenth time was after the phone call at number nine. She called me and said, come and get your son. And uh, when I came in, I had seen where he had just continued to push her off because she wasn't really dealing with it strongly or taking away the game or making sure, you know, he would listen to her. And he was just blowing her off. 
if you can blow people off in your sin, you will. Because the nature is going to manipulate the world. And, and you're going to try to do, that's what sin does. It's going to do, not do what you want them to do. Not follow, not submit. And so Jesus would say the same thing. You judge by human standards, and those standards are your standards. Those standards are fleshly standards. But I pass judgment on no one. And even if I do judge, my decisions are true because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. We stand alone in our judgment so often, independently. But when Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will prove to the world... To be in, uh, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. You will forget all those things, but you will remember what you know already, but you don't know it's biblical, I don't think. Spare the rod, spoil the child. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but he, the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Proverbs 13 24. So you get into this passage of Corinthians, and Paul is trying to say, I need to bring in judgment to help you understand how to grow as children in the Spirit, in that fullness. And so you're not listening to the world, and you come closer to Christ. He says, I, I'm not here to judge outsiders. We are not here to judge outsiders, because they don't have the Holy Spirit. It's not our point. We don't, that's not our role. No man can stand above another man to judge him on the outside. What business is it? Is it of mine to judge those outside? Now, get that little verse that's tucked in there. Are you not to judge those on the inside? Now, that doesn't mean condemnation. Now, you did this wrong, I'm going to throw you away. That's not that judgment. It's the idea of discerning, that you're bringing wisdom to your brothers and sisters. That's what it means. It's knowing right from wrong, helping people, I, but they weren't doing that. And so I took this week, instead of last week on Mother's Day, that they had incest going on in the church. That wouldn't be a good Mother's Day theme, so I do. But it wasn't the incest that was so bad that a man had his stepmother. Notice what it says in chapter 5, and this is the point for us. In chapter 5 is, you have become arrogant and you have not mourned. You have become arrogant. You've misjudged this, and you think this is a good thing. The point is, when your spirit misjudges the Holy Spirit, the whole rest of the thing is going to fall apart. And Paul had one church in Corinth that he had to protect. So if this church is going to start off on the wrong foot, Paul said, I want to close that door and make sure this starts off on the right foot. And then he says, you guys are really proud. You think this is a good thing. That you're the only one in town having incest. And even the, even the pagans don't do that. You're far worse off. Now the interesting thing about the study in this passage was this. And I didn't know this. How old is that guy who had incest? Old. Older. But not only was he older, he was wealthy. And he was a position of power in the church. So who are you to tell me that I'm wrong when you have somebody who's stronger, more educated, more powerful than you? You think this is 2,000 years old? Mm-mm. This is current. When I talked to Art Cooper about the missions and, 
in uh, Thailand, and I talked to another guy named uh, Shay. Uh, forgot his first name. He says, this is the church in Taiwan. This is a missionary question for you. You're the missionary. What do you do with this one? The guy, and this is the church. Big church. Big air conditioning. Bill. The rich man bought the air conditioning for the whole church. One guy. The one guy has got power, got money, prestige in the community. He's got two wives. He's got two wives. Missionary, what do you do? If I confront this guy, I lose the air conditioning. What do you do? What do you? These are so practical that when you have money in the church and people who don't want to deal with powerful people, and the Corinthians were afraid, when you are afraid of dealing with people because you will offend people or you're a people pleaser, the Spirit of God has got a work to do in your heart. And that was the issue. The Corinthians didn't understand how to, how to imitate Christ to this guy to get him out of this pride and power. And therefore, when you're, you're in positions in the church to bring in judgment and discernment and wisdom, you really do need to have a maturity level. About, and you just don't do this out of the box. You have to grow in this. Well, how do you judge? How do you learn to judge with the Holy Spirit's guidance? There are places you shouldn't go into. And there are places you need to know, stay out. But you do this because you have the regular habit of talking with Christ, and you learn to hear his voice, and you learn to obey, and you learn to listen, and you follow through with wisdom. That passage of, I'll stand at the door and knock. You know that passage. Do you know what's right before it? He says, don't you guys know that you're miserable, blind, and naked? And they didn't know. And that's why Christ comes to help us know how to walk with him. And therefore, in 1 Corinthians 6, it's not only incest, but it's conflict with relationships. Would you like to learn how to have the wisdom of the Spirit to deal with the conflicts in your relationships? Oh, yeah. Count me in. Notice in chapter 6, real quickly, five times in chapter 6, five times he has this phrase, Verse 2, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Verse 3, do you not know that we will judge angels? Do you not know that the unrighteous won't inherit the kingdom of God? Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body? No, we don't know that, Paul. And that's why Paul said, I can't talk to you. It's just spiritually mature. You don't know the means and the ways of the Spirit. And therefore, what Paul says and others have said, what Haggai says, consider your ways. Take stock and think. How are you living your life? Are you living it in the flesh, according to the world, according to the devil, according to the nations? Or are you living according to the Spirit of Christ? This is what the Lord says, give careful thought to your ways. He says it twice, actually. But once you think about it, you've got this problem. Oh, I find I'm not doing the right things. And that's not a problem if you're listening to that friend, that companion, that Savior. 
He says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, merciful and kind. He's a healer. He's the one who liberates, and that's what you're going to get into. He wants to get you out of those things that are destroying you if you confess and agree. Notice what the other thing is. If we confess, he will wash. He will cleanse. Do you know the Holy Spirit does that? That he takes the things that are really burning your brain and the shame and the guilt, and he says, that's not for you. I want to wash you so that you walk in peace. So as we confess, we consider, we confess, and therefore we end up with a clear conscience. You can sleep better at night. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command to keep with the prophecies once made about you and recalling your background, recalling who you are, you will fight the battle well, holding on to the faith and a good conscience. I'm doing what's right. I'm trying to do what's right. The Spirit is helping me to do what's right. Then you'll fight that battle well. But if you walk away, you walk away, your conscience will get burned. Like taking an iron on your brain. You cauterize your conscience. You won't feel anything. But you have, some have rejected that and they've suffered shipwreck. So you've got, you've got consider your ways, confession, a good conscience. Clear conscience, and here's what Paul would say. I have been crucified with Christ. Corinthians, you need to learn how to crucify the flesh in order to be free from the flesh and to walk in the Spirit. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Now, this is something the world won't understand. There are two personalities inside of you. Yours and the Holy Spirit training you to reign through Christ. And Christ lives in me. If you're a Christian, Christ lives in you. If you're a Christian, you belong to Christ. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit who sealed you. You belong to him. But you may not be mature in him. And therefore, to live by faith in the Son of God, you have that, but you understand the love and the freedom that he has. All that he has comes as you understand that companionship. So let me close. God is faithful, and he's called into that fellowship into that friendship, the Spirit of God delights in you. He wants to deliver you. He wants to keep you out of that caution zone. You're going to destroy yourself or those relationships. But by listening to Christ, you understand that sin is simply a condition of the soul that's separated from Christ. But with the Holy Spirit, he is the comforter of the soul. And by knowing Christ, you move into people's lives with good news, with forgiveness, with hope and peace and the invitation that you could walk with Christ. People need, to, need the Lord, that's for sure. People don't know the Lord, that's for sure. But people won't imitate the Lord, that's for sure, because they're following the world, the flesh, and the devil. I invite you, church, to take your position as one who's called, one who's been given the salvation of Christ and the spirit of Christ, you have the invitation to grow in the knowledge and you can pass that on as other people need to hear what you know about the Savior. And the good news, we're going to continue in this because the question that Paul's going to have to deal with the, with the Corinthians is how do you help the Christians live freely in a world that's falling apart? And that's coming up next week when we go into the last part of 6, and we'll go into 7 and 8 and 9, because it's all going to come to a head. And you see, if you understand as a disciple of Paul, this, what Christ has, has 
is for you as well. It's for you as well. You don't need to live under that pressure, under those things that trouble the soul. So let me close with this. Let me, let me pray for us as we, we close our service. Jesus, you've heard us. We've heard you. And I just simply would pray, Father, that somehow th that your spirit would speak through all the noise. Even the silence, Father, we, we would confess to you. We, we say we believe with our head, but our hearts are turned elsewhere. Father, we're no different than the people of the Old Testament. No different from the Corinthians, really. We're just as needy as everybody else. And unless you help us grow, we're going to be relying on our own strength. And we would confess that to you. We need you to help us. Thank you that you give the Holy Spirit to help us. Thank you that the Holy Spirit will help us understand who Jesus is. And that's why we're here, to follow you. So, Lord, take these words, change them into realities, and speak to us in a, in a way that gives us the grace to grow. For your glory, we pray, and our growth in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.